Now, there's reasons why I want to share with you before we get to unpacking this, why I think this metaphor is important for us right now and particularly useful to us as a church right now. Before I say the word pandemic or the phrase global pandemic and you've got a category for it, (laughs) but a few years ago you didn't. You had to look the word pandemic up. But before we were experiencing a global pandemic, the Surgeon General of the United States of America had identified that America was actually enduring an epidemic. Do you know what he identified as an epidemic? Prior to the global pandemic, America was experiencing an epidemic. An epidemic of Loneliness. Loneliness. The functional status, the Surgeon General and his team identified the functional status of American life is one of social isolation. Social isolation. Loneliness identified as a significant problem prior to the pandemic. The antidote for the COVID pandemic is social isolation and distancing and mask wearing. And that antidote has exacerbated the epidemic of loneliness. It has had a profound, even tragic, it's made a tragic impression on people's mental health, on people's physical health, on people's emotional health, and on our experience of community and fellowship, which we were designed for. Some of the effects of COVID are already measurable. Some are not. How do we begin to measure or understand the personal, the spiritual, the relational damage that this pandemic has caused? So we're talking about fighting. We're going to have to, church, push back against these societal trends, and that's going to require some resistance some fighting. Now, undoubtedly, some of you are misunderstanding what that fight is. Paul's going to describe for us what the fight is. But the pandemic has reshaped our daily lives. There was a study in the New York Times done when the, uh, last year, after we had been in the pandemic sometime, and the study showed that the pandemic has resulted in, surprise, surprise, it's not surprising to us, that it's, it's, the result has been an even greater movement towards social, isola- social, isola- social isolation. So if there was social isolation, if that described us functionally before the pandemic, it describes us even more now. And the study went on to say that for the average American, time spent with people outside of the home dropped by, in 2020, one hour a day. So, so one hour a day lost to 
experiencing community, interaction, companionship with friends and neighbors. Now, that might not sound like that much, but if you add that up over the course of a year, in 2020, research would suggest that we all lost 365 hours of participation in real community. So if you add 2020, and then that happens again in 2021, we have lost 730 hours of time spent outside the home. Now, where did the time go? Where did all the time go? I'll bet you we can venture some guesses. Where's my phone? Went right here. Went right here. The biggest changes have been less involvement with real people and more time spent on screens. Phones, laptops, screens watching TV, TikTok, reading on the internet. So for the last two years, Brandywine Grace, the average American, which includes you, traded 730 hours of in-person time with friends, church partners, and neighbors for 730 hours of social media, TV, and internet reading. And the danger of social isolation doesn't stop there. Because in the last two years, many of us Americans have formed new friendships. A, a, a new type of friendship that one sociologist has termed factional friendships. Some of you have gotten into some deeper friendships over the last two years that would be categorized as factional friendships. Factional friendship defined. You're either for us or you're against us. Without the healthy community of the gospel and of the church, people are suffering an epidemic of loneliness and getting caught up in a web of so-called friends that are mostly based on social and political alignment and little else, and it's damaging us. It's damaging us, church. Does anybody say amen? Is anybody experiencing this? Does anybody see this? As we head into another year, as we head into 2022, we've got to figure out how we're going to push back against these trends. Our friendships and our fellowship, especially as partners in the gospel, are beautiful to us and beneficial in many ways. They're not just Good for us, but they are a powerful force for fighting the good fight of the faith. We need one another. Who's with me? The Apostle Paul, especially in these letters that he wrote to Timothy, was always talking about faith using the metaphor of fighting. Remember, Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles, and he had a group of people constantly that he was discipling, people that he was in fellowship with, people that he was in community with. 
specifically a group of men like Timothy, to whom he's writing this letter. This is one of two letters that, are, that are, uh, remain as in the canon of Scripture, letters that Paul wrote to Timothy. We also see that there's a letter to Titus as well. These are men that Paul was pouring into, that he was discipling, that he was training, that he was equipping for ministry, so that when Paul went and established churches, he planted churches, he often sent these guys, Timothy and Titus, to, 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 to remain there to build the church up in the gospel. Paul would proclaim the gospel and plant it. Then he'd leave them there and they would build people up in the gospel and begin to build the church on Jesus. Paul wrote them letters. These guys were part of his fight club. They were part of his fellowship group. They were part of his missional community. The, he, he lived life with these guys, and he wrote them letters of encouragement and instruction and warning and coaching. And when he wrote, he regularly used the metaphor of fighting to describe the Christian life. Look at 1 Timothy 1. We've already seen 6.12, but look at 1 Timothy 1, verses 18 through 19. He's writing to Timothy, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. That's fighting language. First Timothy 6.12, we'll read it again. Fight the good fight of the faith. In 2 Timothy, we'll just stay in Timothy, we won't go over to Titus, but 2 Timothy 4, 7, Paul describes himself to Timothy at the end of this final letter that we see, that we have recorded of, of Paul writing to Timothy. He says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. Paul's aware that his, his death is, is coming soon and he says in describing himself and describing his life, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. If you're going to live for Jesus, there's going to be some fighting. If you're going to live for Jesus, there's going to be some fighting. God has called us out. If you're in Christ, if you've been saved by Christ, if, he's, if, he's, if, you, if you've put your faith and trust in him, he has called you out of a life that no matter what you did prior, you might have been experiencing real brokenness. Maybe you weren't experiencing that. Maybe you just realized when, you, when, when Jesus opened your eyes that there was a meaningless and a purposelessness to your existence, an aimlessness. But God has called you out of that purposelessness, that aimlessness, that directionless life. And he's called us into himself and into a great spiritual fight, a great spiritual battle. We're no longer purposeless. Now we're pugilists. <laughs> Taught you a new word today, didn't I? <laughs> Not, Amy's shaking her head No. She's like proud that she knew what a pugilist was. Pugilist is someone that fights with their hands. We're not purposeless. Now we're pugilists. We're fighters. In Christ, we've been united, as Jairus prayed, we've been united with Christ in his death and also 
united with him in his resurrection so that now, dead to sin, we're alive in Christ, walking, you might say fighting, in newness of life. Mm, I feel it today. I feel you guys vibing with this. Just like Paul reminded Timothy, I'm reminding you today. You used to live and labor without purpose. You used to live and labor without, without meaning, in aimlessness. But now you live with purpose, with an aim, with a vision. Because your life has been given great purpose in Jesus. And you got to fight for it. you got to fight for it, church. So I want to give you four descriptions of a fighter, of someone who is fighting the good fight of the faith. We're going to talk, and the first two will probably take a little bit longer. The second two will be quicker, but we're going to talk about the fighter's attitude. And we're going to find it right here. You can get a lot from a sentence in Scripture. The fighter's attitude. Then we're going to talk about what motivates a fighter, the fighter's motivation. Then we're going to talk about the fighter's goals and then we're going to finish by talking about the fighter's corner. All right? So let's talk about the fighter's attitude. I'm preaching at a, a Harbor Network church uh, in a couple months. And they asked me to preach a sermon on fighting the good fight of the faith. They, they asked me to preach from Ephesians 6. Do you know what Ephesians 6 is about? Most of it is Paul talking about spiritual warfare. It's all about fighting. Putting on the whole armor of God. Putting on the whole arm of God. That's fighting language. Paul is using it in Ephesians too. Using it in Timothy, 1 and 2 Timothy. Using it in Ephesians. The fight, church, the fight is present. Well, let me back up and say, what, the fight in, that God is calling us to is not present that you might fight your way into God's good graces. That's not why it's present. This is not fighting to earn a ticket to heaven. That, is, that, is, that, is, that teaching is cursed. That's not the Bible. That's not the gospel of Jesus. What, why are we fighting then? The fight is presence, present because the very existence of the command means that another choice besides obedience is quite possible for you and for me. Christian life is one of fighting. It's one of resistance. It's one of restraint. It's one of discipline. Not so you can prove yourself to God, but as an expression of this desire to live for the God who loves you and has rescued you. The language of fighting is vivid and clear. The Greek word, you ready for this? Fight the good fight of the faith. Agonizomai. The good agonizomai of the faith. Now I want you to take a guess. What English word do you think we get from agonizomai? Agony. Agonize. You see what God's doing here, right? He's describing this life as one of agonizing. Agonize. Fight. Struggle. Strive. Strain. Resist. That's a description of your life in Jesus. And it's through that fight that we find our greatest joy. Yeah. 
Sometimes, oftentimes in life, some of the greatest joys we experience are things we had to fight for. Things we had to work for. That's not anti-grace, guys. C.S. Lewis says it this way. For any happiness, even in this world, quite a lot of restraint is going to be necessary. If you want to be happy in your marriage, you're going to have to restrain yourself from other things. If you want to be happy in, in your singleness, you're going to have to restrain yourself from some of the things that the world says, no, come try this, come try this, come try this. You're going to have to restrain yourself. When God commands us to walk in a manner worthy of gospel, of the gospel, that's going to require restraining ourselves from behavior that would desecrate and defame his name and his glory. When God commands us to be humble, we're going to have to restrain that, that self-inclination to pride. You've got to restrain that, that, that natural tendency to be so full of ourselves. When God commands us to be gentle, we're going to have to restrain anger, treating others roughly. When God commands us to be patient, we're going to have to restrain our inclinations to irritation and anger and judgment. When God commands us to bear with one another in love, we'll have to restrain that, that natural tendency to selfishness. When God commands us to be holy, we're going to have to restrain the constant inner, inner gravitational pull to lazy thought and lazy living. When God commands us to serve others and help them grow, we're going to have to restrain that, that inclination of, I'm getting mine. Let somebody else worry about these fools. When God commands us to tell the truth, we have to restrain that, in, that strong impulse that we feel to lie, to protect our own reputation. Anybody out there? You feel this? You ever feel the restraint that's necessary to live for Jesus, when God commands us not to let the sun go down on our anger, we're going to have to restrain that, that idea that I'll just deal with this later. When God commands us to build one another up with words, we'll have to restrain the easier job of tearing people down with words. Destruction is way easier than construction. Just go talk to a carpenter. Any idiot can knock something down. It takes a skilled craftsmen to build it back up again when God commands us to forgive one another as he has forgiven us in Christ we're going to have to restrain bitter judgments when God commands us to sexual purity we're going to have to restrain ourselves from the from the impurity of lust when God calls us to walk in the light we're going to have to restrain the desire to hide and keep things secret when God calls us to be wise, we're going to have to restrain foolish behavior. When God commands us to be filled with the Spirit, we're going to have to restrain ourselves from being filled with all kinds of other stuff that the world offers. When God calls us and commands us to worship Him with all of our heart, we're going to have to restrain half-hearted, dull affections for Jesus. When God commands us to stand firm, we're going to have to restrain the temptation to give up. Who's with me? I could keep right on going, couldn't I? 
There's a lot of restraining and resisting going on in the Christian life. If you're going to fight the good fight of the faith, you're going to experience some restraining. You're going to experience some resisting. So the Christian's attitude, the fighter's attitude is one. It's a fighting mentality. So the question you're asking yourself this morning is, do I have a fighter's attitude? Do I have a fighter's mentality? Has God so worked on me? Has he so changed me that I find myself at odds? I I'm going against the flow of this world. There's a resistance. There's a restraining that's going on that I didn't notice before I started to follow Jesus. I can tell you this. If you've never really ever tried to resist temptation, then you do not know the full force of it. Only the person that has ever tried to resist knows the full force of temptation when it comes upon you. We never find out the strength of an evil impulse until we try to resist it. And Jesus, because he was the only man that never once yielded to temptation, knows better than anyone else the full force of its effect upon you. No one felt that more than Jesus. That's why he can sympathize with you and your temptations. Because he knows what it feels like to feel the full brunt of it, but not give in to it. So you might say it this way. The person in this room or at home watching right now who is most determined and set on loving Jesus is probably most aware of an intense resistance in the soul. You might look at a godly person and think, man, I'd love to be like them. And it just seems like their life goes so well. And and I I wish that my Christian life went like theirs went. They don't seem to resist much. Oh, no, no, no. The godliest person in this room is probably more aware of the intense fighting that goes on in the Christian life than someone who doesn't really give much about God. So the question is, do you feel that resistance? The question is, Does the truth that we live behind enemy lines in enemy territory as pilgrims making progress toward heaven something that you can nod your head in recognition of? Do you feel any restraint? Do you feel any resistance? Do you feel the presence of a fight? That's the fighter's attitude. You're not saying much now. But I believe that many of you do feel the presence of fight. You feel the presence of resistance. And it should be cause for your rejoicing. Because it's an indicator that God has plucked you out of this world. Set his grace and affection upon you. And given you purpose where before you had none. And now you got a good fight to fight. That's the fighter's attitude. Let's move on to the fighter's motivation. Why should we fight? So the fighter's attitude, we've covered that. It's the presence of resistance and restraint and fighting. 
The fighter's motivation. What motivates this fighter? I'm glad that the Bible does use different metaphors for the Christian life because sometimes you need other ones. Like you might be sitting here today thinking, I'm just not connecting with the fighting metaphor today. (laughs) At some point, you're going to have to wrestle with it. But I get it. If, if the walking metaphor is what you need right now, go home and, and, and read God's word about the Christian life being a walk, one foot in front of the other. I don't, I don't feel like I'm ready for a five-rounder, but I think I could put one foot in front of the other if God would give me grace. Go walk. Eventually, you're going to fight. <laughs> I like fighting language. I, I don't know why. It's just, I like it. It's vivid. I never was a fighter. I never got into boxing. I'm not into the UFC. I don't think I'm tough enough. I watch it, and I admire guys like wrestlers and one-on-one. Like, there's something about, like, we, my boys, and, and they play team sports. My daughter is actually a swimmer, so it's, it, it feels more this way. But any kind of sport, like wrestling, it's like they call the two out. Here you are. You're just two people stand, sitting there right in front of everybody, and someone's going to lose. Someone's going to lose. Someone's going to get laughed at. Someone's going to be looking funny on Instagram. Someone's going to win. So there's something about this fighting metaphor that I, I vibe with. Why should we do it, though? There's got to be a motivation. It just can't be, well, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get fighting. It can't, it can't be that. Not with God. He never motivates that way. So what's the motivation? We got a clue here. Man, you can get a lot out of a passage of Scripture. Fight the good fight. Good. Fighting? Good? Why didn't Paul just say fight the fight of the faith? Fight the kalos, fight of the faith. That's the Greek word. Translation, beautiful. Do you love that? The fight that I'm talking about this morning that so many of us maybe are feeling like we dread, it's actually described by God as a beautiful fight. Fight the virtuous fight. Fight the beautiful fight. Fight the good fight. Fight the commendable fight. Friends, here's the, here's the motivation. The motivation is beauty and goodness. Though following Jesus would cost you everything. And, and frankly, it's not costing us everything in Downingtown. But if it did cost us everything, Jesus would still be worth it. Because Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's a nice thing to say when you're not moving closer to nothing. But I say it's true, even when you are moving closer to nothing. Jesus, forgiveness for our sins, put in a right relationship with God and eternity forever with him. There's a satisfaction that comes in following and fighting for Christ that is deeply soul satisfying. Why? Because it's good. 
because it's a good fight, because it's a beautiful fight. There's a satisfaction that surpasses all worldly pleasures. There's a satisfaction that, that bypasses our comprehension. When Jesus saves us, we're satisfied in him. And we have this new purpose in life. We desire to please him. We desire to live for him. We desire to obey him. When you choose to follow, you get, when you choose to follow Jesus, you get Jesus. And Jesus is worth fighting for and living for. Now, we don't typically think of fighting as beautiful. Usually, fighting conjures images that are ugly. I'm going to show you an ugly one. This is from like, don't show it yet. Um, let me set this up. This is from a UFC. Oh, all right, I'll show it. So this guy, all right, I guess show it. You can put it up. These two guys just finished fighting one another. That is Calvin Cater right there on the right, and that is Giga Chigadze. He's really good. He doesn't look it, but he's really a good fighter. That's at the hospital after the fight where they both got checked on. Calvin Cater beat the heck out of that guy. That's what fighting looks like. That's what fighting often feels like. That's the image that fighting conjures up. And some of you would say, I've never gotten into a fist fight that left me looking like that, but I've been in a spiritual fight that's got me feeling like that. You can take it down. I can see you're all staring right past me. <laughs> He'll be fine. The point is, don't get all caught up in UFC or I don't know how people can punch each other like that. and all. Don't, don't get caught up in that. The point I'm trying to make is that if you're going to fight the good fight of the faith, you're going to feel bruised and beaten up sometimes because the world's going to do that to you. The flesh is going to do that to you. Satan's going to do that to you. You're going to feel that way. You might not look that way. Sometimes you actually look that way. Sometimes people show up to community group and they say, whoa, what happened to you? I've been fighting a good fight of the faith. And this particular week... I'm getting beat up. That's why we have community. So someone can stand next to you and encourage you with the word and get you back in to the fight. I'm, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll talk about the fighter's corner in a minute. Somehow what I want you guys to see, though, is that the fight of the Christian life that leaves you at times battered and bruised, looking maybe on the inside and perhaps on the outside like Jiga Kajadzi, Chigadzi, is actually something that God looks at. You look at it and say, this is ugly. God looks at it and says, oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> I love that. That's someone who's trying to live for me. You know, when Paul went to the YMCA and worked out and took off his shirt and went into the showers and you saw his back, You would have gone, what happened to him? I've been fighting the good fight of the faith. And the Pharisees beat me for it. 40 minus one, two times within inches of my life. That's what I, I wear. That's why he says to people, I wear the marks of Jesus on my body. Don't mess with me. That's someone that's fighting. The persecuted church knows this. The church in Downingtown doesn't know this. 
But I'm saying that our spiritual struggle right here in Downingtown is just as much a fight. It's a beautiful fight. Our efforts to stand firm in the face of adversity, to trust God even when it feels like we're taking a beating, when we rise again after life deals us some tough blows, or after we make sinful decisions that result in the consequences, somehow God renders all of that mess as beautiful when we're in Jesus. This is the paradox of God's perspective on things. There are some things that the culture considers ugly that God calls beautiful. And there are some things that the culture calls beautiful that God calls ugly. This is the fighter's motivation. It's a beautiful fight. It's a beautiful cause. We're not fighting to earn something from God. We're not fighting to earn a ticket to heaven. We're fighting because in Christ, a glimmer of heaven already exists within us. And we're fighting for it. We're fighting because we love Jesus. And we want to please him with our lives because he's rescued us from damnation. Who's with me? Those are the first two. Second two go fast. Here we go. The fighter's goals and the fighter's corner. We talked about the fighter's attitude. We're talk, we talked about the fighter's motivation. What are the fighter's goals? There are three simple goals I'm going to give to you. You can write them down and you're going to hear more about them in the next two weeks. There are three simple goals in the fight. But let me say this. The fight is not sin-focused. It's not sin-focused. It's gospel-focused. It's all the difference in the world. If you don't understand the, the difference between those two things, if you don't understand that sentence that I, had, that I just said, you need to go home and think on that, and then you need to find somebody that you can talk to to say, explain to me how the fight is not sin-focused but gospel-focused. Get somebody to help you understand that because that changes everything. We fight from the position of being in Christ. We're not trying to, to, to get rid of sin. Sin has been defeated. You died to sin when you're in Christ. Now you're walking in newness of life. So what are the three simple goals? The three simple goals are this. We are fighting to believe. We are fighting to be. And we are fighting to beat up the presence of sin that remains in our lives. I tried to put those in three B's. Jonathan Dodson has really helped J.R.S. and I as we've been thinking about this idea for years. But what we're doing, the three simple fight, like if you want to know what fighting the good fight of the faith in, includes, it includes a fight to believe the gospel. It's a, it includes this fight to, that because of the gospel, we're dead to sin and alive in Christ. That's the position from which we fight. So we're fighting to remind ourselves of that, fighting to believe it. We're fighting to be who we are. In Christ, you're a new creation. Dead to sin, walking now in newness of life, alive to God in righteousness. We can no longer live as we once were because the person we once were is no more. Go think on that. We fight to beat up sins Dominion has been defeated. Jesus defeated it, but its presence remains in our lives. You know it. I don't have to try to, I don't have to, try to convince you of that. You all know that. 
So what we're doing when, when, the, when we fight, one of our goals is to beat up the presence of sin that remains in us. It's a determination to resist the temptations that would take our focus off of God and onto some other thing. Would take our love for God and place it on some other thing. So we're fighting to believe, we're fighting to be, we're fighting to beat up. Those are the fighters' goals. They are clear. Believing, being, beating up. J. Ross is going to unpack those three goals the next two weeks. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to talk. He's going to be talking to us about what it means to believe the gospel, what it means to be who we are in Christ, and what it means to beat up the presence of sin that remains in our lives. So I'm moving on, okay? Fighter's attitude, fighter's motivation, fighter's goals. Now let's end with the fighter's corner. Let me ask the band to return. You can't fight alone. Can't do it. You can't fight alone. God has not saved you just individually. Now it's true that you've been saved, but he saved us into a community. And that community is your team. That's the team that you fight with. The Bible preaches the priority of community over and over and over and over again. And that's why we're doing the Connect event downstairs. So we can push back against this trend to be socially isolated. Because you can't live the Christian life in social isolation. I'm having trouble with that word today. You, you've got to be in community. You've got to have a corner. Just like every fighter. So I'm not even talking about the whole church. The whole church is not my corner. I've got the corner are the people that you're sweating with. The, the people that you're training with. The people that are, you're bleeding with. The people that after you finish a round, you come over and they wipe the blood off your face. And they say, get back in there. We need a corner. For in marriage, Amy's a crucial part of, of someone that's in my corner. She's helping me to fight the good fight of the faith. If you're married, you got to take advantage of that. But you, but you need others as well. Men need a small group of men that they can talk to about what the fight, how the fight's going on. Women need a small group of women that they can talk to, to about how the fight is going on in their lives. We need people in our corner. We need people that know us, people that share, our li share life with us. People that motivate you. So you need people in your corner because sometimes if we're, what we need is motivation. So you show up to your fight club. There's just a little gathering of people together. And, and, and what I really need when I show up is motivation. I don't feel motivated. Life's kicking me. And I don't feel motivated. So what I'm hoping is that my corner will give me some gospel truth that gets me back up motivated to get back into the fight. But sometimes I don't need motivation. Sometimes I need a kick in the arse. That's not cursing, right? Sometimes you need a kick. Sorry to all the parents. Other kids will all be saying arse all week. Mr. said it's not cursing. Sorry, guys. Sometimes you need a swift rebuke. Sometimes you need someone to look at you and say, yo, man, you've been saying this every week. 
And you don't seem to have very much sorrow for the way you're treating your spouse or the way you're acting or the anger or, or the unbelief that's demonstrated in your life. Sometimes you need somebody that will say that hard word to you, motivating you by the gospel. Jesus died so that you wouldn't act that way. Why are you acting that way? You need to repent. You need to turn and believe. Find grace. Robert Putnam is a Harvard researcher. He made, he did this interesting study, he made a significant discovery. He was trying to study why people do good things. What would motivate people? Now, I don't even know, I don't know Robert Putnam. I don't know if he's a believer. I don't know anything about him. I just know that he's a sociologist that set out to discover why do people do good things. And he found, this is really interesting, and this is why I love, this is why I'm not afraid of science. This is why I'm not afraid of things that the world might discover. Because, tip, because always what you find, if it's true, if the scientific research is true, then it will support what we see in the scriptures. God's not afraid of people doing scientific research. He's not like he's going to get exposed up there in heaven. So, so Robert Putnam did this research and he found this strong correlation, strong relationship between religious affiliation and altruistic behavior. Altruistic means good behavior. So he, he found this correlation that if people were involved in churches, they tended to be people who did more good things. Surprise, surprise. He found that people who were involved in churches were kinder and more selfless than people who weren't. So then he thought, he sought to understand why. Why is that? So he did a whole nother massive research project. And he discovered some things that it's not. It wasn't because of denominational tradition. That wasn't what, what made people do good things. That they're religious. It wasn't that we hold to these denominational traditions. It wasn't an intensity of beliefs. That wasn't what he found in his research. Do you know what he found out? The people with the strongest relationships in their faith community were also the kindest and most selfless towards those outside of their faith community. I could have saved him a lot of money. <laughs> That's what the Bible tells us should happen. This is what he wrote. I love this. This is going to be some new language for me, I think. He said that church friends seem supercharged. That was the result of his, that, that friends and church are like supercharged. One of the reasons why God has added us into a fighting community is that we would together bear witness about him. Supercharged you are. We can't do the mission he's called us to on our own. We need one another. Together, we're supercharged. Together, we can't be stopped. Together we serve a, a God with an unstoppable gospel that's going forward no matter how many pandemics come our way. We're moving forward, supercharged in Jesus. 
Now, supercharged friendships take time. If you've lost over 750 hours of friendship and companionship and community the last couple of years, the question I'm asking you, the question I'm asking myself, the question I'm asking us is how will we restore those hours in 2022? As we head into the new year, we got to make every effort to push back against these trends that are pushing us deeper into social isolation. You simply must find a corner to fight with. Hit the Connect event today. Find some place to plug in, and you'll find meaningful on-ramps into community. Find your corner. Fight the good fight of the faith. It's a fighter's attitude. It's a fighter's motivation. It's a fighter's... It's a fighter's, what was the other one? Fighter's goals, and it's the fighter's corner. Now, church, one day, one day, the fight will be over. I'm, I'm, I'm finishing now. One day, the fight will be over. One day, our faith will be sight. One day, we will be completely saved and transformed into the image of Jesus. One day, I got more. I got more. You can keep clapping, but I got more to tell you. One day, our affections for Jesus will be so strong that nothing will take your eyes off of him. One day, the presence of sin will be no longer. One day, every competing thought will be completely ousted. One day we'll be freed from sin and every single act and thought will be an act of worship full by total and complete joy in Jesus. One day all the warnings of Scripture will be gone because all the promises of the Bible have been fulfilled. One day all we'll know is reward and happiness and every act we do will be worshipful and not tainted even a bit with sin. One day, our conversion will be totally complete. One day, Jesus is going to wipe every tear from every eye. And the scripture tells us that we can be sure of this, that one day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Until then, church, we fight. <laughs>